Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Dave Robinson is a senior executive and retired U.S. Marine Corps Colonel with over three decades of experience leading complex organizations and high-performing teams. He's an expert and international speaker on the subjects of organizational leadership and performance improvement. And he's the author of the upcoming book, The Substance of Leadership, a practical framework for effectively leading a high-performing team. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Ed. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Our audience would love to hear a little bit more about you. So if you could tell us a little bit more about your career and how you have come to do what you do today and uh, how you connect with the marketplace. Sure. Well, thanks for asking. I grew up in a small town in Northern Virginia and attended college at the U.S. Naval Academy. And when I graduated, I became a Marine Corps officer and spent 25 years as an F-18 fighter pilot, flew off aircraft carriers. I was a Top Gun instructor, served in combat in Iraq, worked for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the Pentagon for a couple of years. And then in my final assignment, Ed, I had the honor of serving as the commanding officer of a Marine aircraft group with 100 or so jet aircraft and a few thousand people here in my home state of South Carolina, where I currently reside. Uh, I left active duty, as you mentioned, as a colonel, and I transitioned to the private sector in 2012. And I knew that one of my main passions, Ed, uh, is helping leaders succeed. And so I started a leadership and management consulting company called Vertical Performance Enterprises, focusing on strategy, change management, and leadership development in mission-critical organizations. And so over the past decade, it's been a real privilege serving a number of companies and a range of industries, as well as speaking to a number of different groups on the subjects of organizational leadership and performance improvement. And as you mentioned, uh, most recently, I've been writing and publishing my first book, which I'm excited to release on September 21st. Fantastic. Well, we all look forward to reading it. And I'm just curious, Dave, you know, when you think about your military career, and the application of lessons or strategies or behaviors to the corporate environment, uh, you know, are they obvious to most of us or to you? Are they challenging in respect to lessons that transition from the military experience to kind of corporate environments? Well, Ed, I think a great question. I think there are a lot of parallels. Uh, Strategy is certainly something that uh, we spend a lot of time in the military, uh, operations, obviously, and then 
technical and tactical proficiency. So when you look at that full spectrum, I think those are some things that that certainly carry over. Uh, my passion being leadership, I feel like the U.S. military, in particular the United States Marine Corps, I know I'm a little biased, is one of the, the best leadership development organizations on the planet. And so, you know, there's a lot of accountability, a lot of responsibility, and uh, many leaders that I work with, uh, you know, can resonate with the fact that pressure is pressure, whether you're getting shot at or whether you have competitors and you have, uh, you know, operational demands and logistical challenges, uh, challenges abound everywhere. And it's been really uh, fun and interesting to take a lot of those lessons that I learned from some great leaders in the military and help business leaders succeed as well. And how about yourself, Dave, when you transitioned from, excuse me, the military to a private enterprise, uh, for yourself, was that an easy transition or was that challenging? Had a lot to learn, Ed, I'll tell you. I felt like <laughs> I off the cliff and I, I wasn't sure if I remembered to put my parachute on there. But, uh, you know, I, I took, took a risk there. I had three kids in high school. We had moved a dozen times in 25 years. It was time to stabilize the family. And I just followed my passion and followed my heart. You know, I, I've learned a lot about, um, uh, you know, just how to translate lessons learned to a number of, of industries. There are many things that are just fundamental about leadership that uh, are universal. And so th- that's been uh, easy. Starting my own business, uh, learning to market my own business, uh, you know, building client relationships certainly took time, but uh, it's been a very rewarding journey. Fantastic. Well, continued success on that front. And I'm curious, Dave, when you think about bravery at work, you know, what are some words or phrases that come to mind when you think about that concept? And I love this topic. You know, the, the, the word that comes to mind for me is courage. And uh, I've always thought about courage and I've always, you know, talked to my teams about the fact that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather it's doing what needs to be done in spite of our fear. And in my book, um, I actually talk about the importance of trust in a high-performing culture. I think that's the center of gravity of a high-performing culture is trust. Well, the question is, how do you develop a culture of trust? And so I I unpack three key leadership qualities for developing a culture of trust that are all related to courage. I call them the three C's, uh, and they are character, competence, and composure. And so the reason why I feel like all of them are, are related to courage, first of all, I think the defining characteristic, if you will, of character is integrity. I always translated integrity to members of my team as having the courage to do the right thing, even when no one is watching. And then next, I translated competence as having the courage to do things right, uh, even when it might be tempting to take a shortcut. And then finally, I uh, define composure as having the courage to set the right tone under pressure, even when you don't feel like it. Because many times when adversity and pressure begin to uh, to mount, it's a lot easier to succumb to those emotions. And it takes a lot of courage to overcome that uh, and set the right tone within your team, which, uh, which really impacts how your team responds to that pressure and adversity that you're facing. Well, I love this word fear uh, that you mentioned earlier on as part of your definition of courage, that it's not the absence of fear, but it's the goal of proceeding or moving forward in spite of fear. And, you know, you're from the military. Uh, You know, when people think of the military, of course, there are battles and battles, of course, create fear. You know, I don't think fear is something that can be managed. I think it's something that even the greatest heroes the greatest actors or actresses, the greatest politicians, you know, they all have this kind of internal DNA that creates this feeling of fear. 
And there are some people who are stopped by it because they don't like the feeling. They want it to go away. And the only way to make it go away is to not do whatever it is that's creating it. And others, despite the fear, continue to move forward. And I, I would love just to hear your, your thoughts and reflections on that. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, the bottom line is when there's a job that needs to be done, and in, our, in my case, the stakes were very high, lives were on the line. Uh, you know, there were cases when, uh, you know, people were getting shot at and things were going wrong. Uh, you know, uh, panic will spread like wildfire. And, uh, you know, when you lose your composure, it, it, it's it's certainly contagious. And, uh, you know, uh, I was in a classroom uh many, many years ago, listening to a combat leadership lecture by Lieutenant General Hal Moore. Uh, there was a movie, he wrote a book called We Were Soldiers Once and Young, and it was made into a movie in which Mel Gibson played Lieutenant General Moore. It was a great movie, great book. The one lesson that I remember most uh, from that conversation is when he said, if you are in a combat leadership situation, the stakes are high, lives are on the line, there will come a time, it's inevitable, where you will sense the urge to panic. It's human nature. When that happens, take a deep breath and, and try to remain calm and composed, uh, because if you panic, it will spread like wildfire throughout your organization. And, and I, I really uh, appreciate those words of wisdom and have had a chance to apply those and, and hopefully pass his, his words of wisdom on to others as well. Well, thanks for sharing that perspective. And it's an interesting analysis in respect to, you know, for me, as I'm listening to you, you know, fear, I believe, is internal. It's something I feel panic feels more external, right? That people can tell I am panicking or others are panicking, right? It feels like more of an external type uh, observation that people might have. And so this internal fear I may feel, to your point, is biological, right? Uh, our body fears or creates this feeling, especially if there's a threat or something that might be happening that organizes our DNA in such a way that creates a feeling of fear. Uh, panic feels a little bit more uh, external and I don't want to say manageable, but uh, just because you're fearful doesn't mean that you panic. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. In fact, uh, I, I think I might even take that a step further and say uh, just because you're feel, fearful uh, does not, doesn't mean you shouldn't panic um, or sh you should panic. What I, what I think is most important there is that we shouldn't panic uh, even when we are uh, fearful because we all are fearful at, uh, at, at certain points in time. I, I do feel like fear is an emotion and panic is a manifestation of how we handle that emotion. And so uh, there are many ways to handle the fear. Uh, some people just retreat. Uh, some people externally show signs of panic. Uh, other people try to step forward and, and have courage to try to move past that fear and move in a positive direction and inspire others. Um, but people are watching when they know that the pressure's on and how we do respond externally to that internal fear uh, I think in many ways will show your true character, but also determine how those around you react to the same fear that you're probably experiencing. Well, I love that kind of model of self-manifestation because that's, I believe, what happens oftentimes in the workplace when we need to say something that needs to be said or do something that needs to be done, and we create or self-manifestate, if that's a word, uh, obstacles or reasons not to, right? In fact, I believe we spend more time thinking about why I shouldn't do something or say something than the benefits of doing it, because there are a number of benefits, obviously, in order to continue to move forward, right? I'm sure there's a word for feeling fearful and doing something you shouldn't do, 
versus, you know, feeling fearful, but knowing it's the right thing, you got to keep going and you got to keep making progress. So yeah, we, we tend to self manifestate lots of reasons why we shouldn't do something to the point that oftentimes it prevents us from moving forward. And that might be where panic starts to manifest itself. Yeah, it sure could. And I'd, I'd love just to pull the string on something you just said, Ed, and that is around this idea of maybe knowing what the right thing to do is, but not doing it. You know, that, that really goes to the core of integrity, which was that first C that I talked about was was character. And, you know, if integrity is, you know, having the courage to do the right thing, even when no one is watching, and I sometimes add regardless of the consequences, you know, integrity to me means that your actions, you know, match your feelings and your beliefs. And so if you know what the right thing to do is, but you don't because you're afraid of the consequences, then, you know, that's an integrity issue, I think, in, in some regards. And so how can we reconcile that difference? Um, you know, I, I think uh, in many ways, um, you know, following our beliefs, doing what we say. And then in some cases, when we see a conflict, it's much easier to avoid conflict. In fact, it's the most common conflict resolution technique by most humans on the planet. Uh, but it takes courage to address that conflict so it doesn't turn into a crisis and actually grow. Well, one of the challenges there that we have talked about on past podcast uh, recordings has been that we have been raised not to really know how to manage conflict. There was never a conflict navigation class in junior high or high school, or there might have been in college, maybe if you took it as an elective. Certainly companies have programs that provide, you know, conflict navigation, but, you know, just culturally, you know, as you said, it's the number one choice because it's kind of been how we've been raised. And of course, we're always been raised to be polite and you don't talk that way to the principal or you don't talk that way to the policeman. So, you know, we're, we're being directed in ways to be polite and courteous and not, hey, if something happens that you disagree with and you feel differently about, here's the right way to share that perspective so that you can navigate through that conversation effectively. We just haven't really been taught how to do that effectively. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's I, uh, in a lot of my leadership development work, there's a, a topic that we talk about that really seems to resonate with a lot of folks, Ed, and that is around this idea of of conflict resolution and what are some tools, what's a framework to look at that. Back in the 1970s, um, uh, two gentlemen, Thomas and Kilman, came up with this thing called the Thomas Kilman Mode Instrument about conflict resolution. It's really interesting to me because they assert through their research that how we handle conflict is a combination of how assertive we are and how cooperative we are. And so, you know, if Dave Robinson is very assertive, but not very cooperative, I'm going to try to resolve conflict by competing. You know, it's kind of a, a, a I win and Ed, you lose. Right. Which doesn't really work very well for anyone. If I'm very cooperative, but not very assertive, I might say, fine, Ed, whatever you say. Right. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to cooperate, but I'm, I'm not going to assert my opinion. If I'm neither assertive or cooperative, that's where you get into the avoiding mode, right? Where we just don't want to do anything about the conflict. But if we can both be cooperatively assertive in that upper right quadrant, so to speak, that's where we can really get into win-win problem solving, where we can resolve conflicts and issues perhaps even better than if we have to compromise. And so it's just a really uh, fascinating study about how leaders can courageously approach conflict. And how about you, Dave? Do you have a story that you can share about bravery at work, either something that you've done in the past that you feel had a very positive impact on your career or something that you avoided doing that you look back on with regret? Well, 
And I, you know what? I'll share a story about that third C that I mentioned earlier, composure. Um, I define that as you know having the courage to set the right tone under pressure. We all know there's certainly no shortage of pressure and adversity in today's workplace. That's for sure. And you know, it's it's related to that uh, comment I made earlier about General Hal Moore and, and how influential he was and and uh, and having the courage to have composure and set the right tone. I'd be willing to bet that all of your listeners know of a leader who doesn't respond very well to bad news, adversity, or pressure. It only takes a few times for someone like that to shoot the messenger, so to speak, and then everyone stops bringing them bad news, right? And then it doesn't take very long until a leader like that gets disconnected from what's really going on within the organization. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, having a negative response to adversity or pressure uh, can be contagious. And, and when you panic, it can spread like wildfire. So I experienced this firsthand uh, in the spring of 2006. I was serving as a battle captain in our Marine Aircraft Wings Tactical Air Command Center in Iraq at a base called Al-Assad. It's about 100 miles west of Baghdad along the Euphrates River. And I was responsible, Ed, for orchestrating air operations for a team of about 5,000 aviation and logistics professionals couple hundred aircraft providing air support for about 30,000 Marines and sailors deployed throughout Western Iraq. And I was also in charge of coordinating all of the medical evacuations uh, in that particular geographic area as well. One afternoon, I noticed uh, that there was a large mob forming outside the front gate of our base when I looked at the, the video from the drone overhead of our base. And I, I could see in a distance two white sedans converging toward the mob at very high rates of speed from different directions along dusty roads. A few minutes later, we started getting reports of incoming mortar fire in the north sector of our airfield where all of our helicopters were parked. And just when I thought things couldn't get worse, six simultaneous firefights broke out in our area of responsibility. Casualties began to mount. We started running short of medical evacuation aircraft. I realized we were in a coordinated attack. And this is, this is Ed, where I have to be honest, I began to sense the urge to panic because so many things were going wrong. And then I had a flashback to three years earlier it, about that classroom that I mentioned just a few minutes ago, listening to that lecture by Lieutenant General Hal Moore. And that's when I remember he said, you know, there will come a time when you will sense the urge to panic. And when that happens, take a deep breath, speak calmly and clearly, and do your best to make the most of a bad situation because otherwise it's only gonna get worse. And I realized that I was in that moment that General Moore was talking about three years earlier. So I huddled up my team of air support directors in the command center. I could see uh, the, you know, the, the, the fear in their eyes as well about what was gonna happen here. And so I first acknowledged, uh, did two things. I acknowledged that we were running out of resources to adequately respond to all of these requests for air support and medical evacuations. And I asked them to think outside the box to find ways to minimize our limited resources and to save as many people as possible and then keep me updated so I could have their backs and then I reminded them to uh, take a deep breath and remain calm on the radio because if anyone sensed that we were panicking, everyone else could begin to panic as well throughout the battle space. Some really innovative things unfolded there, um, you know, with those directors. And they just thought outside the box and uh, came up with ways to subdue that crowd by doing a low speed, uh, a, a low altitude, high speed flyover. Uh, by using some aircraft that were on a logistical support mission, dropping their cargo, and then using them to uh, assist with the medical evacuations. I wish I could tell you that we saved everyone that evening. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that we made the most of a bad situation. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, I'm still grateful today for that advice that General Moore gave me, that words of wisdom that I've tried to emulate and pass on to others ever since. And, you know, the real lesson for me here is, you know, when you try to translate this to the business world, although your listeners are likely not getting shot at uh, in their workplace, it can still feel like combat because pressure and adversity abound. But as I said earlier, true character is revealed through adversity and the tone you set when faced with difficult challenges will significantly impact how your entire team responds. I always told my team members, bad things will happen, but when they do, have the courage to set the right tone even when you don't feel like it. Take a deep breath, maintain your composure, and I've always found that those business leaders have been surprised by the increased level of trust that it creates within their team and by the positive effect that it's had on their culture. Well, Dave, thank you for sharing that story. If we had a whole nother hour, we could pick that apart with uh, many examples, I'm sure, of bravery and commitment and uh, composure and uh, character and uh, integrity that must have been demonstrated during that event. So thank you again for sharing that. And thank you for being on our podcast today. If folks wanted to reach out to talk more about your business, uh, your upcoming book, or your thoughts about bravery in the workplace, how can they reach you? Thanks for asking that as well. Yeah, they can contact me via my website, verticalperformance.us. And for any leaders out there who want to know if they are bravely leading their teams to consistently perform at a high level under pressure, uh, on my website, on the landing page, they can take the performance pressure test uh, to find out. And they can also subscribe to my newsletter if they like to learn more about various topics related to leading a high performing team. Fantastic. Well, I would encourage all of our listeners to go to the website and take that assessment. It's a great, probably brief indicator of kind of where you fall in respect to that particular topic. So, Dave, thanks again for your time today. Thank you, Ed. It's been a pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. You have something to say, yet are not saying it. You have something to do, yet are not doing it. Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.